We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, Chargers fans. This is the Guilty as Charged podcast where we discuss all things related to the Los Angeles Chargers. We are available on all podcast platforms, including Apple, Spotify, and Google. If you like the show, please leave us a rating or review. We do really appreciate the positive feedback. Make sure and follow us on social media, including our Patreon account, where as little as $1 gains you access to cool things like jersey giveaways and film breakdowns. Thanks for tuning in, and enjoy the show. Hey guys, what is up? Welcome into another episode of the Guilty as Charged podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host. Joining me are, as always, are Tyler and Alex. Alex, we'll start with you today. How are you doing? Uh, I'm doing pretty good today. Uh, I know we got that blue wire deal, but I haven't gone crazy and spent all the money yet. But uh, <laughs> I, I don't know what you guys plan to spend it on. But hopefully we spend it on cool giveaways and stuff for you guys. Yes, we are going to be doing a, a lot of fun giveaways come draft night. Uh, going to give away our first round jersey choice of jersey like we always do. Uh, always do. We've been around for a year. We did that last year. We're going to be doing that again this year. Um, and Tyler has a signed Philip Rivers hat, which we will be giving away as well. So stay tuned for those details. Uh, we will be doing a live stream on YouTube, though. Uh, Tyler, how are you doing today, man? I spent my money already on P.F. Chang's orange chicken, and it is delicious. <laughs> and you've been spelling it wrong this whole time, man. Yeah, I had no idea. So I have to go like stab <laughs> myself, I think, after the show. <laughs> I like how you were like dishonored to my family. <laughs> it's on on your cow. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, man, it, it's been a great day for us. It's been a great week. You know, uh, thankfully, to, you know, for thankfully to all of you guys and your support, we've been able to. Being in a good enough situation where we're able to join a, a company like Blue Wire, 
Uh, and we're super excited to see how that journey will, will affect us. You know, we've been kind of keeping it to ourselves for the last year and, and kind of holding out and, and seeing, you know, where we could take it our, on our own. Uh, and so we're super excited to join Blue Wire and see where they can take us. So uh, I got a fun episode today with you guys. First and foremost, we're going to have an interview with Brentley Weissman, friend of the show. Uh, is able to join us. And so if you're watching us on YouTube, this is going to be in a separate video. So when you're done watching the episode, go and check that out. If you're listening to it on the audio version, that is going to happen right now. So here's Brentley Weissman and enjoy this listen, guys. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. So happy to be joined now uh, for the second time by Brentley Weissman, former NFL scout, current writer and contributor for the Draft Network. Brentley, thanks for taking the time to join me. How are you doing? Doing well, man. Thanks for having me. It's been a while. I'm happy to have you. It has been a while. Yeah. We, were, we were just talking before, you know, the last time we talked to the Chargers, I think had the fourth pick, maybe the fifth pick in the draft. Now they have the 13th pick. So definitely a lot has changed. Um, Brentley just released his top 50 as well as his most recent mock draft. Uh, and so we're going to dive right into that. Um, with the 13th overall pick, you had the Chargers taking Tevin Jenkins. A um, little unconventional for some people, but what was the thought process there uh, in having the Chargers take Tevin Jenkins instead of, you know, Elijah Vera Tucker or Christian Derrissaw, who have really been like the consensus picks for, you know, the last little bit? Well, I guess kind of first and foremost, taking a step back, you know, Tevin Jenkins to me as a player – I personally just feel he's a better player than Christian Darisol and Elijah Barry Tucker. And I understand that, like, look, he's a, he's a right tackle. He played right tackle at Oklahoma State. But Tevin Jenkins, to me, his, his length, his, just his, his power, um, he, he's a really good athlete. And just the demeanor in which he plays football, that's the kind of offensive tackle that I want. And, you know, and I, I think when you're, trans, when you're talking about oh, the Chargers needed a left tackle. They have Brian Bulaga at right tackle. My, 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 my answer is this, you know, I think Tevin Jenkins has the feet and the range to play on the left side because when you're talking about a right tackle versus left tackle, you normally want your left tackle to have better feet, being able to kind of kick, kick out further and quicker to get to those kind of edges where the speed rushers are coming off of. Tevin Jenkins has that. He has showed nothing on film that tells me he couldn't play on the left side. Now, I'm, not a, I'm no longer a scout. I'm no longer talking to Oklahoma State coaches and finding out why he wasn't on the left side. I don't know. But on film, he's shown me no reason to believe that he can't be on the left side. Worst case scenario, if the Chargers drafts him at 13 and he can't play on the left, tackle, the left side for whatever reason, Brian Bulaga is 32 years old. <laughs> Brian Bulaga was injured right. for most of last year. Brian Bulaga, is, his contract really has an out after next season. Yep. The worst, absolute worst case scenario, the Chargers drafted an all pro right tackle. And so best case scenario, they drafted an all pro left tackle. So I just don't see a downside of drafting Tevin Jenkins, who has much better tape, in my opinion, than Christian Darisol. Elijah Vera Tucker is, in my opinion, a projection at left tackle. In my opinion, he's a guard. So when you're comparing to those two players, I think Tevin Jenkins is a no-brainer. Now, if you want to talk about Sam Cosme, that's a guy who I'm you, you know I'm high on him. Yeah. Or if you want to talk about Jenkins versus Cosme, I think that's a different conversation. But when you when you're comparing Jenkins versus Adarisol versus Elijah Barry Tucker, I think it's a no-brainer selection. And 
you know, just from speaking to people in the league, you know, I don't, I don't think I'm necessarily alone about having concerns about Darisol. In my opinion, I, I, I think, I think that sentiment's felt a little more in the league than it is maybe in the media right now. Well, I think, I think Darisol's, you know, kind of being projected as like the the safe pick for the Chargers at 13. You know, it seems like kind of, you know, everyone's kind of hoping that one of Sewell or Slater are falling, um, but it kind of seems like people are just kind of pegging Christian Darisol as like the safe pick. And I don't necessarily agree with that. And I kind of would prefer this scenario that you lay out here. You know, you draft Heaven Jenkins. If you, you, know, you play him at left tackle as a rookie, if it doesn't work out, then you can move him over to the right side and then figure out the left tackle spot later. I know that's not like ideal. You want to have them get their left tackle of the future nailed down this draft. But uh, I'm with you. I think this this situation would be my preference as well. Yeah. You know, I mean, look, like I like the aerosol. I just have serious questions about his anchor. I have serious questions about his play-to-play consistency. Like, there's some plays he looks phenomenal. Other plays, I mean, he looks god awful, showing no effort. I'm, I'm, I'm just confused. I, I don't, yeah, know what's going on with that. Um, you know, you love, you love the physical ability. You love, you know, you love his mobility in terms of his being able to mirror and pass pro, and you know, and his really good balance and things of that nature. But I think, you know, I, I have questions about his anchor and just. You know, his tenacity in the run game, I, I don't necessarily see it every play. And, you know, I think he's a first-round player, don't get me wrong, but I'd rather just kind of, you know, place my bets with the other guys. I totally understand that uh, opinion as well. I think people are kind of mixed on Darisaw more so than than people would let on, at least on social media. Um, I'm curious to get your thoughts as, as, you know, a former scout, because we're talking about Tevin Jenkins potentially switching from left tackle. And, you know, it – it used to be like that conversation of, oh, he was a right tackle in college. We're not moving him to left tackle. It was kind of this this monumental, you know, change that people just wouldn't do. But it's it's becoming a little more common now. So from a scout's perspective, like, you know, when you're having those conversations with your team or or, or with other coaches, maybe with the coaching staff of the college, what what does that look like? Like, how do you make the how do you understand that, okay, this right tackle can play left tackle or this left tackle needs to play guard? Like, how do those conversations happen? Yeah, I mean, I think it's just about getting the information, right? Because, I mean, the position coach at the university is going to know more than the scout. And so the scout's job is to find out, hey, why isn't Tevin Jenkins on the left side? You know, like, this guy is clearly dominating. He's clearly your best player on your team. Like, especially on your offensive line, like why isn't he protecting your quarterback's blind side? Yeah. Now the offensive line coach from Syria said, Hey, I mean, we don't think he has the feet to play on the left side. You know, we like him more on the right side. We like him more with the tight end on the, you know, on the strong side of the formation. But again, like as a scout, like we'll, we'll never know that, you know? And so it's all about just kind of trusting your sources, asking the right questions. But that's, that's my opinion the answer for, right tackle making them switch to left. But in terms of a tackle getting kicked inside the guard, that's something a scout can definitely see. You know, if a guy's better playing, you know, with people uh, behind him or uh, a line on the side of him, if he struggles with range on the outside, if, if he lacks the kind of foot quickness to move in space, you know, if, if his arms aren't long enough to really kind of have the length to, to ride him out of the, of the pocket, now, those are guys that you will probably want to see inside a guard. But again, Tevin Jenkins has shown none of that. And so I think yeah. he's I think he's certainly more than capable of playing on the left side. 
I agree with you there. And last one on, on Tevin Jenkins here. You know, I, I think the you know kind of the backup plan, if you will, for the Chargers at this point is maybe potentially taking a cornerback. Um, if you, if JC Horn and Tevin Jenkins are, are on the board, would you still take Tevin Jenkins? And, and how close of a decision that would that be? Yeah, I mean, I would probably still take Tevin Jenkins. Um, you know, look like. The Chargers right now, they have Chris Harris, they have Michael Davis. And yeah, I mean, I don't feel personally great about that. I, w- I would like to add another younger corner and get him in, in the mix. But I just feel like I like my chances at getting a pretty solid player at corner in round two. And I do getting a plug and play starter at tackle in round two. And so it's just a matter of, you know, it's just a matter of what what position you value more and what you feel more comfortable in terms of what you can get in the later rounds. And I think the Chargers have found that they can find corners later in the draft. And they certainly haven't found that they can find offensive tackles later in the draft. So <laughs> I would, uh, I, I, I would lean to the blue chip offensive tackle prospect. Yeah. Uh, totally on the same page there. Um, so let's talk about some of the defensive playmakers. Cause obviously the Chargers, you know, they've, they're going to rebuild their defense, both in the secondary, probably have to add a pass rusher. Um, you know, I'm curious to get your thoughts in general on this safety and cornerback class in terms of second and third rounders and maybe some guys that you think would be on the board there and would be a good fit for the Chargers. Yeah, I mean, I think this, first off, I think the safety class is really, really good. And I also know, like, in Staley's new scheme, they're going to need a new free safety just because, I mean, you can't you can't count on uh, Adderley anymore. You just can't. Rashawn Jenkins is gone and they play a lot of too high. And so you don't want want Derwin James in my opinion. I wouldn't be surprised if Derwin James is plays more linebacker than he does safety because you cannot have Derwin James skill set, in my opinion, playing that far back and his rookie year, he was at his best when he was near the line of scrimmage, making plays and doing all that kind of stuff. And so I think that we're going to see a lot of uh, dime personnel where, where, where uh, Derwin James playing more closer to the line of scrimmage, and there's two other safeties playing back in the split safety look. And so, you know, when you talk about the safety class, I think a guy like Andre Cisco, you know, I, I really like him. I know he was out with injury last year coming out of Syracuse towards ACL, but that's a guy who would be perfect in a split safety scheme, his outstanding range, really good ball production, instincts, everything. Everything could want my opinion in safety. And he'd be a guy I think in the third or fourth round would be awesome pairing with Darren James slash Adderley. So I'd be a guy I would love to charge as a target at safety. Uh, corner, corner's an interesting one. You know, I, I think it depends on what you value in a corner, right? There's a lot of good nickels, in my opinion, in this class. I'm not sure I love the talent on the outside after the first three guys, you know, after Sertain, Casey Horn, Caleb Farland, you can even throw Greg Newsom in there. But I think after that, it's just a toss-up, right? I mean, you have Paulson Adebo. Right. You got the Georgia guys who I know people like. I'm not sure I'm really high on. Um, you know, but a couple of names that I personally like, I, I really like uh, Benjamin St. Juice from Minnesota. That's okay. a guy I, I'm a big, big fan of. He's really long. He's really good feet. He's really good ability to turn and run. Uh, good good, uh, good uh, ball production. He'd be a guy in the third round I'd be interested in targeting. And then same with Keith Taylor, kind of same body type, very long arms, really good feet, uh, can play man or zone, quick, quick hips. You know, that's a guy I would consider, you know, targeting on the outside. He's kind of like uh, Michael Davis, actually, but 
maybe a little less fast, but possibly more, you know, stronger, you know, playing press at the line of scrimmage than, than Davis was coming coming into his rookie year. But you know, those are a couple guys I think you know would be interesting late round targets, mid round targets. Uh, but I mean, look, like I would not be shocked at all if the Chargers took a corner at thirteen. Like I yeah. would not be shocked. I mean, that like I could totally see that happening. Now I wouldn't do it. I mean. If Sertain fell, I mean, yeah, I'd consider it. I like Sertain more than Horn, but I mean, look, I, I could definitely see it going. Hundred <laughs> yeah, like percent. That, that that is something I think Chargers fans need to be prepared for. Like, no questions asked. Yeah, yeah, it, it definitely kind of, you know, there, this just this perception of like, oh, it's a deep offensive tackle class, and it is. Like, I I do like this offensive tackle class beyond just the players they could get at thirteen. You know, so positional scarcity in terms of the cornerback position, like I could see it happening as well. Um, so we're doing our edge rusher episode today. Um, you know, I'm not going to ask you about the the big the big names, but we did have a conversation beforehand uh, about Gregory Rousseau, and we we recently did a mock draft, and and he was on the board when we were picking at 47 for the Chargers. So, what do you make of the Greg Rousseau? You know, kind of I don't want to say fall from grace because he hasn't. You know, the draft he could still be a first round pick, but what is your take on the Gregory Rousseau situation and how he's being perceived now, as opposed to when we last spoke, you know, he was considered a top 12 pick. I mean, exactly. And so I'm actually writing an article about this coming out uh, on Thursday for the draft network about kind of, you know, how Gregory Rousseau's, you know, the stock in the minds of draft analysts has kind of fallen right over the last you know, three or so months. And again, like I haven't spoken with any of my contacts in the league about Rousseau. I have no clue what the league feels about him. All I know is about what I feel and about what I'm seeing on social media, about some of the narratives about him right now. And so maybe the league agrees with other people and maybe I'm the one that's on Island, but, but from what I've seen and what I've seen on film, this is still a top 15 player in my opinion. I think I had him number 11 on my big board. I, Nothing that he's shown me on tape last year, nothing he's did at his pro day has changed my perception over him of what I saw over summer. What I saw over summer is a guy with a rare length, really good lateral agility to make guys miss, make, make, make uh, you know, make, uh, you know, to win, to win the edges inside. Right. Outstanding power. I think that's something that no one's talking about is how strong he is at the point of attack. This is not a guy like, uh, who's the guy that the saints traded up for a couple of years ago. Uh, Marcus uh, Davenport, Davenport or, yeah. he is like he is not just a guy with pass rushing length and that has no anchor or power just at the edge. This guy is powerful. Like, this is a big dude coming at you who has quickness and really good hands. He plays with outstanding effort. And people don't understand like length wins in the NFL. Like yeah. length is a separator between getting home or a 50 yard completion. That is a difference maker. And you see it on film time and time again. He gets home. Like that is the bottom line. He gets to the quarterback with his length, his just motor and effort, and he's, in my opinion, he's an outstanding run defender. And that's something that's not getting talked about at all. And so, you know, I don't, I don't know why people, you know, he's, you know, the, the notion that he's kind of fallen in the eyes of evaluators. I'm not sure. Is it because people, you know, held him? As at a really high standard, you know, back in the summer, he's talking about as a Miles Garrett type and he didn't play. And then, you know, that you people just kind of started nitpicking him for whatever reason, possibly. 
but in my opinion, I'm not sure how you can watch the film and not come away with like, damn, this guy's a really, really good football player. And, you know, you, I would, I would argue there's best footballs ahead of him. You know, he's only played right. one full year and, you know, he, he's, his body can still get filled out. You know, he might end up being a Calais Campbell. He might end up being a three tech and just being unstoppable inside where he can win with his length and quickness. You know, that wouldn't shock me at all, but you know, he's a guy I'm, I'm betting on, um, you know, and so we'll, we'll just kind of see what, how he is as a pro, but you know, he's a guy I think is going to be a really, really good player. Yeah, it's just so interesting to me how, the opt-out has has affected different people, right? I mean, obviously, yep. Caleb Farley has has the back injury and things like that, so that's kind of why he's falling. But, you know, Panay Sewell and Rayshon Slater, like, they've kind of maintained their stock. And and Gregory Rousseau, you know, it's like, well, how big – like, because I feel confident enough to say, like, if he had played in 2020, we'd be talking about a top-10 pick. Like, his kind of production and the way that he improved throughout the season – I feel like that's going to continue. And like you said, I mean, he played safety and receiver in high school. So I just don't understand it. And it's interesting to look at how Jalen Phillips stock has like gone sky high. And it's almost like that has hurt Rousseau more than anything else. I think you made an outstanding point. I was actually thinking that in my head. I I do think uh, Jalen Phillips performance last year at Miami has negatively hurt Rousseau in the minds of draft analysts on Twitter. Like I'm not, again, I'm not sure. I'm not sure what the league feels about Rousseau. Maybe they're low on him. Like everybody else. Maybe they're high on him. Like me. I do think there's a perception out there. Well, hell was Rousseau really that good? I mean, we just saw Jalen Phillips have a great year too, you know, and Jalen Phillips is a better athlete. So I'd rather go with Phillips, you know, maybe, maybe there's some of that going on, but I really don't get it. You know, like what changed, Last summer, in these in the minds of Jeff analysts, you know what did Rousseau do to hurt his stock? You know, what I'm saying I, I don't yeah. think what, I have no idea. The tape's the tape, you know. Like I like I like this tape, then I like it now. It's just like I don't get it, you know. So yeah, I know before free agency, you know, we on our podcast we were kind of talking about, you know, we honestly wouldn't have been surprised if the Chargers would have taken Rousseau at 13. Obviously, you know, they have to rebuild the secondary now. The offensive line still needs work, so that probably wouldn't happen, but. You're sitting there looking at the Vikings, who, you know, obviously Mike Zimmer is a defensive coach, and he's he talked he's talked several times about how his 2020 unit was the worst of his career, and so, you know, I think they could target a defensive player, and if it were Rousseau, I honestly would not be surprised because, you know, you look at that kind of track record that Minnesota has of developing edge rushers, I could see Mike Zimmer looking at Gregory Rousseau as kind of a blank slate and saying like. I can mold this player into an all pro pass rusher, like no doubt. So it's going to be very interesting to see where he ends up. And it, it, like I said, it wouldn't surprise me if he were as early as 14. Yeah. I mean, totally. I mean, I think I had her so back at the Vikings, maybe in my two mock drafts ago. I do do think that's an excellent fit. And like you said, I mean, yeah, you could, I'm going to be fascinated to see where he goes. Cause I think it's going to really kind of solidify you know, who was more correct on him, the league or right. the media, you know? And so that's one of the guys who, again, I, I'm really, really interested to see where he is drafted. Absolutely. So last one here, and then uh, we'll let you go. Who are some sleeper pass rushers that you have your eye on again, in kind of that back end of round three, round four range that, that you think could be a fit for the charters? You know, it's interesting. You know, there's, there's a couple guys I like. You know, I do like Jordan Smith from UAB. That's a long, really explosive, pretty raw pass rusher. 
But again, his physical tools are awesome. And he has yeah. some juice off the edge. He's really, really productive. They kind of use him in different ways, you know. And, that, and that's why I think for the Chargers, you know, look, I, I'm not sure what kind of formation state is going to be rolling out there. You know, is it going to be a heavy 3-4 kind of front? Is it going to kind of keep some of the 4-3 principles? I'm not sure. But I do think adding, you know, ver- versatile players who can play in multiple fronts makes a ton of sense just to kind of give him the creativity and the flexibility yeah. to, to run whatever defense he wants. Um, you know, so I think Jordan Smith would be an interesting guy. Uh, you, you obviously got Helm, Helm was shed from Oregon state. Another explosive player who can do multiple things. He can kind of play in a, out of a two point stance, drop back into coverage. You know, he, he'd be an interesting guy to keep an eye on. And then honestly, uh, Patrick Johnson out of Tulane is kind of in the same mold as a, uh, and is in the same mold as Jordan Smith, a guy who's done a lot, played multiple roles for the two-lane defense, has made all kinds of plays. Really long, really explosive, uh, but could, could could be, you know, a stand-up, three, four outside backer, or it could be, you know, a hand leader, four, three, to weak side defensive end. So those are a couple of names I would keep an eye on in the end of round three, maybe mid, mid-round four range. You know, a guy who could be an interesting second-round option is a guy I was kind of late to the party on, but I know – is getting a lot of love is Ronnie Perkins uh, from um, from Oklahoma. I was kind of low on him after doing some more film. I mean, the, the guy he, he is really really good first step quickness, outstanding yeah. ability to bend and turn and finish, turn the corner. You know, he's a guy I really really like. I found and um, you know I wouldn't mind the charge having him in the second round if if he ended up if he, if he ended up falling. But you know, I think I think this pass rusher class ball. It's not necessarily as strong as other years past. There's some there's some late gems to be had for sure. Absolutely, you know, you mentioned Ronnie Perkins. He's he was the one edge rusher who kind of gave Tim and Jenkins some problems last year. So, yeah. uh, big fan of Ronnie Perkins as well. Well, Brentley, uh, this has been awesome, man. You know, I know the draft is about three weeks away. So, what uh, what kind of things are you working on that Chargers fans can keep an eye on? Yeah, you know, I think uh, we're going to be doing a whole bunch of live content the week of the draft. We'll be down in Atlanta filming, so that'll, that'll be really, really cool. So I can see the week of the draft. Uh, you know, just keep keep your eyes on that. You know, I still put out four pieces of content a week on the Draft Network. Like I said, I have a piece about Rousseau coming out tomorrow, Thursday. Um, you know, I think I think that'll be my last post for the week. But you know, I'd say just kind of keep keep your eyes on the Draft Network's social handles, and you know, just. Stay locked in. Absolutely, man. So definitely give Brentley a follow, guys, on, on Twitter. Keep an eye out for his articles on the Draft Network. Uh, re- honestly, it's so fortunate for all of us to be able to have a former scout uh, who has worked in these kind of situations be able to give his analysis on Twitter and, and the Draft Network and things like that. So definitely give him a follow. Brentley, thanks again for taking the time out. And uh, we hope you have a great three weeks ahead of the draft. And that sounds like an awesome time down in Atlanta as well. No, I appreciate it. Can't believe we're so close, but man, it's, it's going to be exciting. Oh yeah, man. Can't wait. All right. So thanks again to Brentley. You know, I was super interested in hearing his uh, kind of rationale behind taking Tevin Jenkins. We were able to have a good conversation uh, just in general, like what, in, in what comes to be from a scout's point of view in switching a left tackle, right tackle, you know, tackle to guard kind of thing. So really excited about that conversation uh, and thank him again for, uh, join us. All right, let's get to this conversation that we have today planned for you guys, which is going to be about our edge rushers 
and our defensive tackles. You know, we're, we're doing this ramp up towards the draft, giving you some names to keep an eye on uh, in a few weeks from now. And let's start with the edge rushers here. We have some a really interesting conversation, courtesy of Alex here, first and foremost. Alex, who is the edge rusher that you are pounding the table for in this upcoming class? Uh, unfortunately, it's somebody out of Penn State. <laughs> um, and I don't like Penn State, but Jason Owa is really good. Uh, New Jersey native. Shout out to the Rutgers prep product. Uh, but I think that uh, he's really, um, I mean, obviously he's tested well athletically, and that seems to be where a lot of his draft stock is coming from. Um, and the thing that gets associated with his name, which I'm sure Stephen will, will bring up, is that, you know, he had zero sacks in 2020. Um, and if I think if you go back to 2019, he had uh, two, 2018, five. But um, I think, you know, even though he did have uh, zero sacks, he did get better, in my opinion, just watching the tape. Uh, he was actually uh, PFF's highest graded run defender uh, in the country. So, you know, that's obviously a really great metric for him. The fact that, you know, he can stay on the edge and not get gashed by Devontae Booker uh, or, you know, certain people that gave the problems, <laughs> Chargers problems in 2020. Um, and, you know, even though people say he has zero sacks, he also applied most uh, QB dropbacks on his team. Uh, I think, or no, sorry, Chaka Tony had uh, 23, but Chaka Tony played two and a half more games. Uh, Owa applied 20 uh, QB pressure uh, dropbacks. So I just think there is something to him. Uh, obviously, the, the physical testing, his speed, that will all entice people. But I kind of view him the same way that I view uh, Gregory Rousseau in a way. Um, and you know, I know Gregory Rousseau's previous, you know, stat lines will not, uh, be where Owa is, but I think it's kind of the same thing where he's this raw product, uh, where, you know, you're going to have to take a couple years to develop him. Uh, but I think it's worth it. And the fact that, you know, what you can say about him that you can't say about any other guy is that he is good against the run and that he can get in the backfield and apply pressure. Um, you know, the sack numbers will be, you know, what people debate, but, I think you can have a really great season without technically having a sack. And he did play two and a half games uh, less than his other uh, defenders uh, on the team. So um, I, I definitely think there's something to it. And I, it's a risk to take him. But I also think it's a risk to kind of take a lot of edge prospects, um, as, you know, as high as the second or third round, which is probably where the Chargers are going to take one. Uh, I just think if I'm betting on something, I'm kind of betting on the upside. And I think his 2020, uh, by all you know indications, was pretty good as terms of the stat line. And I thought he was better than he was in 2019 from the standpoint that he wasn't just played in these situational sub packages and he could be used uh, in more ways. So I think he has a lot of versatility. Uh, I think he has a lot of upside. And I would he's kind of my pound the table guy. I, I understand like the athleticism, the upside is definitely there. Like the man ran as fast as a 40, you know, as like a, a linebacker and a cornerback would run. So like the dude's an athletic freak. I just think he should be more in like the sleeper category than a first round category, which is where he's going. You know, I, I recently I've seen him ahead of Aziz Ojalari. I've seen him ahead of Quiddy Pay, and I, I can't get there. Like the dude's an athletic freak, like no doubt about it, but you know, seven sacks in three years of starting at Penn State. Like, I know he didn't play a whole lot of games this year, but, you know, and I know that the pass rusher position has evolved to more than just sacks. But, I mean, you talk about Gregory Rousseau. Gregory Rousseau had 15 sacks in his one season. And so, 
again, I, I understand the argument. I understand the athletic upside. I'm not taking a first round pick on a guy that has seven sacks across three seasons. Like I'm, I'm just not doing it. So while I think there is definitely upside there, I just, I can't get behind the current evaluation of Jason Elway being a first round pick. That's, that's my biggest thing. If you're talking about, if you're talking about a second rounder, sure. I'll get it. I mean, that, that is my, that is my evaluation on him. I, I have him as a second rounder. Okay. Well then that's, okay. that's great because you're smart because the, this current evaluation <laughs> of him being, a I'm not, I'm pick, not taking him at 13, Steven. Like, I'm not saying it specifically for the chargers. Like I'm saying yeah, yeah. like in mm-hmm. general, mm-hmm. you know, this guy, you know, is being taken before Quiddy pay in some mocks and before even Gregory Rousseau at this point, which is kind of ridiculous in my opinion. So yeah. That's my main issue with him. If you're talking about him being there at 47 and the Chargers taking him, like I would understand mm-hmm. that. But if you're the the Packers taking him at 28, I can't get behind that. If you're the Chiefs, even at 31, Buccaneers, I guess could afford it because I mean they he wouldn't be a starter. Yeah. But I, I'm not ta- I'm not spending a first round pick on a guy with seven sacks across three seasons. I'm just not. I mean, if you're the Packers taking him at 28, he would put up more stacks than the uh, guy you took last year in 24. So <laughs> <laughs> that is true. Uh, all right, Tyler, let's get to your pound the table guy here. Who are you choosing? Sure. I just want to break the tie real fast. Uh, sorry, I'm Alex. I'm not a huge fan. Um, I think yeah. I do have him you know, at the end of the second round or even the early third round. To me, he's all athletic bark and no production or playmaking bite, in my opinion. Um, a guy with that kind of physicality and kind of speed I think it would at least be better at like a bull rush or something, you know, which you don't have to, it doesn't require any, you know, counters or anything. Just go get the guy, you know, rush half the man. And even then I didn't think he was very good at that consistently late to put his hands up. So I wasn't a huge fan. I think I graded him worse than Steven. So that's, I guess how I feel about that. (laughs) Yeah. I think he's, Uh, I'll go with someone. Sorry. I think, I think always like my edge rusher 18 or 17. So. Oh, Jesus. Um, (laughs) Oh, I, yeah, I definitely don't like him a whole lot. And I think that Rousseau, at the very least, is more, you can do a little bit more with him. But my guy, the my pound the table guy, has been my edge run the whole time. And then he just destroyed his pro day, and that's Jalen Phillips. Yeah. Um, well, I don't think he's as good against the run as Rousseau. I think I think he's easily the best pure edge rusher from Miami. Um, he has a great swim move to work inside, but he really makes his money just having that best bend and get flat to the quarterback. In the class, in my opinion, I think the only one who can give him a run for his money is Aziz Ojolari. Yeah, because he turns that corner like a corner almost. It's not even like a hoop, and it's just kind of scary. Um, his pass rush win rate is twenty point three percent. Um, so I mean, look, I don't want the Chargers to go edge at thirteen, but I wouldn't mind them taking him if that's the route they went. Um, I do have other preferences, but you know, I, I do think he's the best edge player in this class. I, you know, the the edge one argument for me is something that I've really flip flopped with with uh, mm-hmm. Phillips and Aziz Ojolari. I think. There's an argument for each one of those two. And you could throw Quiddy Pay in there. I, I don't hate that. I, I don't necessarily agree with it. But Phillips' hand placement, man, like, you know, somebody compared him to the Bosa brothers coming out of college. And honestly, like, in terms of hand placement, I can see that. You know, obviously with Phillips, the thing is how will teams value what happened at UCLA with his concussion problem and medically retiring uh, and then having to sit out a year. I think he's 23 years old or 22. So, Phillips does not come with like a, you know, 100% clean bill of health, but I think he's an explosive athlete and he's got crazy, crazy good hands. And you don't see many players in college with the kind of pass rush arsenal that he had. And I mean, he can do swim, he can do dip and rip, he can spin. 
So there's a lot of different things that Phillips can do. And, and, you know, if he's the pick at 13 for the Chargers, I would I would certainly not hate that. Alex, did you have any thoughts on uh, Jalen Phillips? Uh, I like him a lot. I, I think that, I don't know. I don't know if I would take him at 12 or 13. I know there was a New York Giants mock uh, a couple of weeks ago that had him uh, as the pick there, which would be interesting. Uh, I hope he's picked inside the top twelve because if we if we get some if we get as many edges as possible into the top twelve, yeah. then maybe yeah. we can get you know Rayshon Slater at thirteen. But um, I, I do think he is seriously talented, as is Aziz Ojolari. Um, I, I would probably rank Aziz a little bit higher, but Jalen definitely has some nice uh, pass rushing moves. Yeah, that conversation really it's it's just a matter of like how do you how do you consider or how do you view. Jalen Phillips' medical history versus Aziz Ojulari, who's 20 yeah. years old and yeah. has no injury history. So it's an interesting conversation. Um, all right, my guy that I, I have loved this guy from day one. I do, I'm not saying pick him at 13 at all, uh, but that is Carlos Boogie Basham from Wake Forest. I love the way that he plays football, love the way that he attacks the edge rusher position. Uh, and in my notes, the two words that I first wrote down, he's violent and he's versatile. He really wants to bully opposing rushers, and he can do it from a wide nine. He can do it from a traditional defensive end spot, and he can kick inside, which is something that he did at the Senior Bowl. You know, they, they, there were not a lot of defensive tackles uh, in general at the Senior Bowl, and then Marvin Wilson and um, and Levi Onzerike got hurt, and so Carlo and so Boogie Basham was a defensive tackle for the entire week in Mobile, and he was awesome at it. I don't think that I would play him as a defensive tackle in general, but for somebody that could, you know, come in and play a, a three, four defensive end role slash edge role, you know, I think you can do so many different things with Boogie Basham that he would be able to excel uh, in any kind of role. He's not the most bendy athlete. He's more of a violent physical rusher. Um, and I just love the way he plays, man. He's so violent and he and he really plays hard his motor is always running and tyler and i have talked several times about how important that attribute is for us you know you'll see him run and chase down people 20 yards down the field he did that against clemson and travis Etienne. so he's not the most physically gifted player i just really love the way that he plays and i really love the kind of versatility that he would bring to the table uh so boogie basham in the second round is somebody that i would absolutely be thrilled with for the chargers and, and for any team, I, I just I really think that he's kind of a second round type of player, uh, mm-hmm. and I would want him on my team, whoever I would be a fan of if I were not a Chargers fan. Yeah, he's my favorite day two pass rusher if he's there. I just I don't know, maybe I just focused on this too much, but it seems like the swim move is just his thing, and I think nobody in this entire class executes a swim move like him. And I think that just shows me that even if you don't have a ton of pass rush moves, if you can do that one thing so freaking well. I think it was Vach Lombardi that said it. Now it's always stuck in my head. If you can be taught to do something like that really, really well. You can learn other things as well. Right. So taking him in the second round and then giving him another move and then another move. And if you start to just mold him that way, he is such a high upside pick. I really like him as well. So good call here. Awesome. Alex, any thoughts on Boogie Basham? I think if he's there in the second round or and maybe the third, probably likely or the fourth. 47th pick i think he'd be a great target for the chargers um a little bit behind jason away but uh <laughs> but um no i i would definitely take him at 47 uh, i think he has all of what you want uh in a pass rusher especially one who can uh develop a bit you know play with uh Uchenu and Wosu on that side i think it would be a lot of fun 
I agree. So let, let's talk to the players that we're selling on And I'll start on this one, if that's okay with you guys. I think my person that I'm selling here is Quincy Roche. Uh, I like the player. I just think that he's being a little overhyped specifically by Chargers fans because of what he did in the senior bowl to Alex Leatherwood. Um, I don't know what the case is. Like, I'm not the biggest fan of Alex Leatherwood, but Quincy Roche is not the kind of player that should go out and dominate a player like Alex Leatherwood. You know, we saw even what he did against or what he didn't do rather against Christian Derrissaw. And everybody kind of talks about that same game for Christian Derrissaw as being like his main selling point. Right. So it's a little funny to me that Quincy Roche is so high on Chargers fans board when they got when he got dominated by Christian Derrissaw. So it just is kind of funny to me. I think he's a fine player. I have him, you know, really kind of in that mid teens range. Um, I just I don't know, like. If I'm looking towards him or some of the sleepers that we're going to talk about, I don't know who I would take there. You know, Alex, I'm not going to, I hate to spoil this, but Alex's sleeper is Ellerson Smith from Northern Iowa. I think that Northern, I think Ellerson Smith has so much more potential because of his athletic upside and because of his length than a guy like Quincy Roche. So I just, I worry about drafting Quincy Roche in the third round and, and it turning into like an Isaac Rochelle kind of player who just doesn't really do a whole lot well. He's just kind of a body who is not like super, he's not super twitchy. He doesn't have great bend. So I'm just, I'm kind of selling on Quincy Roche lately. Um, Yeah, I, I think you can make that point with Quincy Roche. Um, I don't, yeah. I also think that it's been a weird thing for the Miami pass rushers because it's right. sort of been like as Jalen Phillips' stock has increased, Quincy Roche and... um Gregory Rosso have just experienced kind of a tumble down the draft. Um, and I, I don't know if those two things, I, I don't think they're really related, um, but it seems that teams are just kind of, you know, having their eye on one as opposed to the others. I actually wanted to talk about uh, Gregory Rosso a little bit. Uh, not a guy that I'm selling. I, I just thought it was interesting to talk about his placement because he yeah. seemed to be like a mid first round pick for a while. I mean, for a while, he was like someone that the Chargers should consider at their team, right? Yeah. If they were going to take an edge rusher. And now he's tumbled like midway through the second round, um, you know, later in some mock drafts. It's very weird to me. Uh, and I know a lot of it has to do with the pro day, uh, which wasn't super impressive. But I just, uh, it doesn't seem like he's a surefire first rounder anymore. And I don't, quite get why that has happened because i still think that physical upside is there um i i just think selling you know there i think there's teams that use the pro day uh, a little bit too much and i i feel like he's kind of an example of that like i feel like he's gonna fall exactly to the right team like we i think we did our mock draft and he fell to the ravens and like the end of the second round or something (laughs) um and that just feels like something that's gonna happen so um i'm not selling any edge personally uh at this point but uh, i i have seen uh uh his stop you know tumble down the draft and it's very weird uh in my opinion just that one pro day has tanked him like 40 spots i i don't get it with gregory Rousseau. yeah the pick's gonna come down to it feels like either some team is making a genius move or they're making a really dumb move and i think it'll just depend on who the yeah. gm is if the ravens take him at the end of the the first round Oh my gosh, like everyone's because it's a genius move. <laughs> if the Giants take him, you know, that early in the first round, yeah. it's probably a dumb move. It's a very interesting player, though. I'm I'm actually surprised that he fell so much. I kind of I get the hesitation on him. Like if you just look at his tape and what he does, 
Like he's, he's not a, like, he's really low on my pass rush rankings, but it's hard to deny what he can eventually do, right. I think. And that's why right. the discussion was there with 13. Um, but yeah, it's very interesting to see him in TDN's mocks in like the 50s or whatever it is now and just available all the time within the mocks of the Chargers. So I don't think he'll get there. I can't imagine he gets to 47. Um, but it's an interesting, it's an interesting tumble for sure. Yeah, the thing with Gregory Rousseau too is like if you watch him on tape, like I was not expecting him to test like a Jason Oway or like a Quiddy Pay tested, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so it's just funny to me, you know, how like people were expecting Rousseau to just have this amazing pro day. And it's like, I never really got like the vibe of like, he's going to run a fast 40. He's going to run great in the three cone. Like that's not who he is. Who he is is a super freakishly long athlete who has tree trunks for arms. Like (laughs) that's why you're drafting Gregory Rousseau. And I'm sure it's like, you don't want to draft someone just because they're tall, but you know, when you're six, seven and you have, I think his wingspan is like 85 inches or whatever, you know, like you're drafting that. And then you're hoping that you can teach him. And unlike Jason Oway, Oway, he had 15 and a half sacks. The only person who had more sacks than Gregory Rousseau in 2019 was Chase freaking Young. So, mm-hmm. like, you know, he does have a lot of room to grow and he does have a lot of things to clean up. But there's a track record for taking players like him and, and turning them into, you know, really explosive players. And, like, honestly, I just like watching him. I just kind of felt like if he had played in 2020, we'd probably be looking at a top 10 pick. Because mm-hmm. I, I could see the growth throughout the season in terms of his developing his arsenal, and that's what's going to happen in the NFLs. So if he falls to the second round, man, like I think somebody's going to get a steal, and you know we're going to look back, you know, f- two years down the road and be like, man, what the hell was everybody thinking with Gregory Rousseau? <laughs> yeah, for sure. So right, let's all go to my guy next. Yep. Um, I feel like with Roche. I kind of like him as much as I like him where I think I'm taking him, which is like the third round. So I don't like him more. I don't like him less. I think that's just kind of how I feel about him. Yeah. And I feel the same way about Hamakar Rashid. I don't know where he's going at this point. Depends on where, what you consider him. Is he the 2019 guy? Is he the 2020 guy? Somewhere in the, in the middle? I don't know. Um, I've only watched the 2020 tape, and I know, Steven, you've graded him a little bit differently, I think, as an off-ball linebacker. But I have not watched as much, nor have I graded his 2019 tape. So I can't say much about that. But... As far as 2020 goes, I generally despise pass rushers without a game plan. That's yes. kind of what I didn't <laughs> like about Rousseau um, because I'd like Rousseau a lot more. Um, but what's what's your plan of attack? You know, I think you know Hamakar Rashid tries to win with athleticism, and he has it in abundance for sure. But there's no counters. You know, even someone like Phillips, who crushed his pro day, who might be the most athletic pass rusher um, in this class, but even he has like a swim move, for example. So, you know, I think some people are hyping up Rashid because he had a really good 2019. Again, I haven't watched it, heard it was great. Um, but for me, based on what I watched in 2020, like where he's kind of projected to go on day three is kind of how I feel about it. I'm not really interested. But again, I, you know, my mind could be changed based on how he played in 2019. Yeah, it's it's a tough evaluation because Oregon State, you know, I don't know if they changed schemes or if they just changed what he did. Um, but he was doing a lot more off the ball stuff in 2020 than he was in 2019. And in 2019, I mean, he had 22 tackles for loss and I think 13 sacks. So, and then in 2020, it was just like the complete opposite. Granted, they only played five games, but, you know, it was just a weird evaluation because he, he moves really well and and he can do great things in coverage. I think if you're drafting him at this point, I think the best kind of role is how the Chargers initially used uh, Uchenna and Wosu as somebody who occasionally rushes the passer 
occasionally drops into coverage and you're kind of, you know, splitting his duties essentially as, as kind of a, that Sam auto linebacker role. But I don't know if I would take him as a pure edge rusher because I just, like you said, I don't think he has that arsenal. He doesn't have the kind of hand placement to make me think, okay, like he's going to develop here. I think he, at this point, he's probably like an edge slash linebacker hybrid. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, I, I think he's probably going to be an edge a pass rusher hybrid. Uh, I don't think he's going to be someone that you're going to plug in from day one. I, I think he's someone that yeah. you're probably going to, you know, see where he is with uh, Jenna and Wosu and, and monitor that throughout the season. But I, I definitely see the upside um, enough there to the point where I would take him, I don't know, in the third, fourth round, uh, nothing, you know, too much higher than that though. Yeah. All right. Let's get to some sleepers, some guys that we think, you know, could go day three, maybe end of day two and kind of uh, outkick their coverage. Tyler, we'll start with you first. Who is your favorite sleeper? I changed mine. I was going to go to bat for Patrick Jones, but I'm kind of sick of saying Patrick Jones on the show. So I'm going to go with <laughs> Teron Jackson out of Coastal Carolina. I'm okay. That name correctly. Uh, a little bit about him. He's a Bronco Nagurski trophy finalist. He made the Dean's list five times, for, which is GPA of 3.5 or higher. I graduated with a bachelor's degree in mathematics. I know that has nothing to do with football, but he is smart, clearly. <laughs> um, he tested elite in the speed grade at his pro day. Over two seasons, he had 36 run stops, 22 sacks, a run stop grade of 90.3, and a pass rush win rate of 20.1%. Now, Steven, you'll be happy to hear that he was part of their suffocation of Zach Wilson. Um, he was okay. <laughs> he was okay as a pass rusher, but his, he's a really great motor, and that helped take some of the improvisation out of what Zach yeah. Wilson could do. Um, so I think that's part of the you know r- way he was able to to suffocate them, if you will. Um, his biggest weakness is definitely his lack of a bend on the outside, and that has to get sorted out at the next level if possible. But he is great at working inside against guards, using an elite you know elite speed and a swim move to get to the quarterback, and at full speed. And I guess the guy who tested really well in the speed category, it's very hard for a quarterback to get out of the way because he's so quick against interior offensive linemen. So TDN has him as a, day, a late day three guy, and I wouldn't mind taking him there. Yeah, he was another guy that kind of did some defensive tackle work down in Mobile because, again, they just didn't really have any defensive tackles. So yeah, um, I, I'm a fan of his, and I did watch that game against BYU. It was a lot of fun, not going to lie. Um, Alex, let's move to you, man. Who is your sleeper here? Yeah, my sleeper is uh, Ellerson Smith, also known as the guy who took over the senior bowl. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, kind of himself. He is just kind of uh, an athletic freak, and I, you know, didn't really know much about him until I saw him at the Senior Bowl. Um, but you watch some of his like college tape, and it's like, how is this dude, you know, six seven? Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, he he plays uh, very differently than I think his height would uh, suggest, because he is a little bit quicker. He moves well too, has a nice swim move. Um, and I just think he's going to be a really great uh, situational pass rusher. Um, I know Daniel Jeremiah comped him to Max Crosby, which is very unfortunate, um, but I think he's going to be uh, really good in this league. His raw athletic score was actually really good. It was like the fourth yeah. in this class behind Away and Phillips. He's just, uh, I think he is going to, be again a bit of a situational pass rusher to start i don't think he is you know if they do draft him in the fifth round uh you know has any chance to start but i think he can come along over time and when you have like that size that speed and 
you know, people were kind of wondering what he was, you know, when it came to the senior bowl, the fact that, you know, he can, you know, pop James Hudson and the fact that he can get, you know, past some of these guys is, is really good. Um, there's also a play of him in the game against uh, North Dakota state, you know, which was the uh, that was the sort of one game they ended up playing. That was uh, really interesting because he played against Dylan Radunes and he has a you know play in that game where he went one on one with Dylan Radunes and sacked uh, or no hit uh, Trey Lance. So you know he's a he's a baller and I think he's going to be really good in the league. Um, I you know obviously he comes from Northern Iowa and he didn't play in 2020, so that's why he's not going to be picked super high. But that's why I think he has a chance to have value. You know you just don't find many six seven guys with an 83 inch wingspan and if you do find one of those guys it's someone like Gregory Rousseau who's going to go in the first or second round Um, so I just think it's a really great uh, way to find some value absolutely agree I I, you know if you hadn't chosen Ellerson Smith I would have Um, I think he's a perfect kind of developmental pass rusher for a team like the Chargers to take and, and have him you know serve as a situational pass rusher as a rookie and then kind of challenge Uchenna Nwosu if he's still around next year for a starting job. Um, the fact that Northern Iowa was able to get Ellerson Smith and Spencer Brown, these two athletic freaks, and, and develop them into high-quality players really kind of speaks to what they're doing up there. Uh, and if they had had a 2020 season, we're probably talking about Ellerson Smith and Spencer Brown more often as like a late first, second-round kind of players because Spencer Brown, he was literally perfect. He is number one all time in the history of offensive tackles testing scores for the RAS model. So uh, those two players are just really freaky. Um, My sleeper here is going to be Patrick Johnson, not Patrick Jones, Patrick Johnson out of Tulane. Um, He's another player. He's a little undersized. He's not six, seven, 83 inch wingspan like Ellerson Smith, but he does use his length really well. Um, He's okay against the run. So that's something that he will have to use. Like I said, he's a little undersized. Um, but I really like the way that he uses his pass rush arsenal. He does have a cross job. He is able to pull off a spin move every once in a while. Uh, and so I think he does have the kind of length and athleticism where you can put him as a three, four outside linebacker, you know, traditionally, you know, a traditional kind of three, four outside linebacker role, kind of like a Shaq Barrett player or like a Von Miller type of type of role. Um, so that kind of limits his, his versatility. He's not somebody that I would want to put on the inside rushing against guards very often, but, I do think that he's the kind of player you could take in the fifth round um, and, and maybe, you know, have a kind of diamond in the rough. I would definitely have him lower than Ellerson Smith or Jordan Smith from UAB. Um, but Patrick Johnson, I think, is somebody that the Chargers uh, with their kind of coaching staff could take in the fifth, sixth round, maybe in a double dip scenario where they get a second edge rusher uh, and develop into something more than than a six round pick traditionally would be. Uh, I think he's fantastic, Patrick Johnson. Uh, as as a run defender, I think he's probably like one of the better guys uh, in this draft. Uh, and he also, what separates him is pass coverage, right? And if we're talking about this Brandon Staley scheme where guys will kind of be expected to drop back sometimes, he did have uh, 11 pass deflections this year, uh, I think. So right, yeah. that's going to be an interesting thing to watch uh, if he would be drafted by the Chargers is – how do they kind of do they see him more as like an edge or do they see him more as a three, four outside linebacker? Um, not that I think these titles mean a whole lot, but uh, I do think they'll, you know, find some uses for him that aren't just, you know, standard pass rushing. Absolutely. Tyler, any thoughts on uh, Patrick Johnson? 
Haven't watched him. I was looking at Pro Football Focus's evaluation of him. They they say he's a poor man's Carl Lawson. I don't know how you feel about that, but I like is. that actually. I think that's a that's a pretty accurate comparison there. Cool. Um, all right, let's get to this defensive tackle class. Uh, we were kind of talking about this defensive tackle class. There's just not a whole lot of like, you know, pound the table guys, honestly. But we yeah. we are going to do our best here. Um, you know, I, I tweeted this out earlier, but I only have one defensive tackle on my top 50 list and that's Levi Onzerike. Uh, and he's literally 50th. So <laughs> um, it's, it's a tough class to get behind. And, you know, two of the players that we're going to pound the table for are run stuffing nose tackles. So that kind of just talks about how <laughs> unfortunate this class is. Uh, Tyler, I'll let you start this one off, man. Uh, with our guy, Tyler Shelvin. Yeah. It's no one. I think you said it was there. There's even though Shelvin is just some run stuffing guy, you had more fun watching him than yeah. 75% of the entire draft class. He so can't rush fun. the passer, but man, he's just so much fun to watch. There's so much heart to him. I mean, he's flying around on special teams. He's swan diving into <laughs> dog piles. He, by God, he's trying spin moves to get to the quarterback. Like I just love watching him. I would love to take him in the third round. If he's there, I feel like he could go, Early, well, I, I, okay, so I had I didn't know about Alim. Well, somebody you're going to mention, I didn't know about him, so I didn't think there was another guy like Shelvin. Um, so I thought maybe the Shelvin would go a little bit earlier than we'd expect. But yeah, this is like the only pound the table guy I have. Um, this class is really meh. Uh, same with you. I have Levi as my you know, interior defensive lineman one, and that's about it. Like it's it's pretty rough. So if I'm going to go with someone. I'm going to pound the table for someone. It's going to be the guy that I probably had the most fun with watching so far. Yeah, I, I was like you said it. I had so much fun watching him play. The first game that I watched was their uh, SEC championship game against Georgia, mm-hmm. and the Georgia interior offensive line uh, combined to weigh over a thousand pounds. They have Ben Cleveland. They have you know I Huge. always forget his name, but he plays guard for uh, the Dolphins right now. I always forget his name. And then their center was a freshman at the time, he, so he was a, he was a sophomore this past year. And they couldn't move him at all. Tyler Shelvin just basically planted his butt in the ground. <laughs> Nobody could move him. And, you know, it's yeah. just – I know that defensive tackles are – you know, everybody's kind of looking for the pass rusher at this point. You know, that's just kind of where the position is headed. But I still think there's value for a, a no, for a run-stuffing nose tackle like that because at the end of the day, like, you still got to stop the run. And having a guy who can physically impose his will by setting the line of scrimmage is just so important. And so that's – that's my guy here is Aleem McNeil. Very similar kind of player. Um, Tyler Shelvin's a little heavier. Aleem McNeil is a little more stout, if you will. Um, but both guys primarily play the nose tackle. I think Aleem McNeil is probably a little bit more of a playmaker against the run. Um, again, not much of a pass rusher, but you know he does have some good hand usage that maybe uh, make me think that he could potentially develop that kind of trait. Um, but the difference there too, is that Shelvin will scrape down the line. And like you said, jump on the piles and, <laughs> and make his presence feel that way. Uh, yeah. Ali McNeil is not that kind of player. So he's more of a short burst athlete as opposed to Shelvin, who will kind of occasionally give you some more other things besides just the line of scrimmage. Um, but Ali McNeil is, is another one that I had a lot of fun watching. Yeah. I yeah. actually thought McNeil was a, was a better pass rusher than Shelvin. I don't know about you, but for me, that seems like, if you're going to take either of those guys, you'll probably take McNeil first because I think he has a little bit of that extra wrinkle yeah. that Shelvin doesn't. Yeah, I would agree with that. Um, Alex, any thoughts on Shelvin or McNeil? And then uh, who's your guy? 
I like Shelvin or McDeal. Uh, I I don't really have a pass or, or pound the table guy. It's just yes. hard to find one in this draft. And mm-hmm. like, I think it's also the position itself because like I can see the Chargers taking one in the fourth, fifth, sixth round. But like, it isn't a huge need for them to get an interior guy. And there were people commenting on our mock draft like, "Oh, you guys forgot to take a defensive tackle." It's like <laughs> that's just that's just kind of how the draft seems right now. Yeah. Like, there's not tremendous value that's going to fall. Um, you know, to to a certain round. Um, and that's sort of the struggle, I think, is with all the other holes on this team, you know, like offensive tackle, like corner, you know, defensive tackle just isn't something that you have to address this year because you have Linval Joseph, who's still playing at a, you know, a really good level. I know he had no sacks last year, which might be a big problem with Steven. <laughs> but, um, you know, he's still playing at a really high level. And I don't, think you need to find an immediate replacement and obviously they're still trying to figure out what they want to do with uh jerry tillery is he going to be an edge is he going to be you know uh, yeah. an interior guy and you have justin jones i think who was uh, a little bit underrated last year in terms of runs of worth so i think that you know if you can get a guy like tyler shelvin who you know immediately becomes sort of the uh you know follow-up to linwall joseph in future years like i think that's a really good move if they can get him uh, for good value in the fourth round ish um but for me i'm not over drafting a defensive tackle uh in comparison 100%. to their over and in comparison to their other needs yeah it's just like you know you watch a guy like j2 fele and then you watch a guy like christian barmore and you're like this is the same player and then you watch tommy tommy togi and then you're like this is the same player and then you watch marlon tupelotu who's a really nice guy was a great interview for us as the same player like it's just it's hard to find someone who really stands out. And, you know, I know that Christian Barmore had a great playoff run for Alabama, but then you watch his first game and you're just like, where's the first rounder? Like, where's the guy that's supposed to be a first round player? I, I You don't see him. So it's just a consistency thing with me for Barmore and defensive tackle is just it's such a hard position to really develop in the NFL. Like, I, I think if the Chargers do not draft a defensive tackle, they'll be fine. Because they have everybody that Alex mentioned, they could also develop Cortez Brown. Maybe right. um, Braden Fajoko becomes something. I don't know. I don't think so. But, uh, you know, I just would rather kind of take a shot uh, on the guys that they have, maybe address that position next year. In general, this defensive tackle class is just not very good. Linebackers class is not very good. So, you know, this is kind of a perimeter oriented defensive class. And so, I would just kind of rather focus the defensive picks on the other positions, but um, let's get to some sleepers. Uh, we do have some sleepers. I'll start with mine is Taquan Graham from Texas. Uh, he's somebody that really kind of became on my radar at the senior bowl. I thought he played really well down there uh, in one-on-one situations. I think he had a couple pressures in the actual game as well. And the thing that I like there is similar to uh, Jerry Tiller. You can play him as an edge if need be. So he's got some really good length, good uh, good height, so where he can do some different things on the edge and as a defensive tackle. Um, <laughs> similar to Jerry Tillery, though, he's not great against the run. He's definitely more of a pass rusher at this kind of point, um, but that's just kind of the, th- the thing with taking a defensive tackle late in the draft. You're either drafting somebody who you think has some pass rushing potential or you're taking a run stuffer. Uh, I just happen to choose take on Graham as my sleeper because uh, I watched him recently again. So I, I, I like him. I think he's a good player in the fifth, sixth round. Um, but again, it's just, it's so hard for this defensive tackle class. Tyler. 
<laughs> Sorry, I thought Alex opened his mouth there. No, I, I, I was I was waiting for one of you. <laughs> no, you're good. Um, I have not watched him yet, so I apologize for having no input whatsoever. My sleeper pick is going to be Milton Williams from Louisiana Tech. The funny thing about him, though, is that I'm actually lower on him than where some people have him as like a top 75 player. I think Pro Football Focus has him like top 75. PF, or, and then TDN has him at 64th. I don't think wow. he's there yet, but the potential is certainly there. You know, he put on 20-something pounds this past season. He looks a little bit better with that added weight. So if you're, if you're craving a player with some untapped potential who can work inside or rush outside, and you see that on film, you can play as a 5-tech, a 4-tech, or kick inside, whatever. You know, he absolutely crushed his pro day with every measurement being you know 91st percentile or higher. I think he just benched 500 pounds in that video. Um, so you know, I think that's a player you'd love to have on day three and, and throw into Staley's system. Uh, my sleeper that I like is a guy who's not even on the draft network. <laughs> it's really <laughs> weird. Um, but he is out of Indiana. I like Jerome Johnson a lot. Uh, he actually became the first Indiana defensive tackle to earn all uh, Big Ten honors in like 30 years. Oh. Uh, he had 18 tackles, four sacks, uh, and four and a half uh, tackles for loss. Um, he was just really solid. And the game that really stands out to me with him is Ohio State. Uh, and that was obviously kind of Indiana's game of the year where they made that really competitive, but he was just kind of terrorizing Justin Fields all day, uh, low key and really getting in on a pretty good Ohio state offensive line. Uh, I know they were missing guys that game, but they weren't, I don't think they were missing a ton up front. Um, so he's just a a really solid player. I think he, he kind of improved every year and obviously there were fewer games for Indiana this year, unfortunately with, uh, COVID and everything, but, it's just weird to me that like no one talks about him uh, anywhere. And I think he is a guy that based on his production over the years could be like a third or fourth rounder um, at defensive tackle. Uh, so it's just weird to me that there's just no media coverage on him. Again, that might be because he you know goes to Indiana, uh, <laughs> but it's just, uh, I, I think he's kind of an explosive, uh, you know, nose tackle or, you know, as explosive as they come. I think if you're talking about Linval Joseph next year and wanting to move on from him or maybe bring him on uh, for extend him one more year, I think this is a guy who can kind of be the long-term replacement. Yeah. Well, and, and to be fair for Ohio state and, and you know, that kind of game, they were, they probably were missing a couple guys up front, but they probably replaced them with other five-star recruits. So, <laughs> yeah. Um, so Alex, a little uh, Eagles news for you here. The uh, Eagles are signing linebacker, Eric Wilson. Uh, from the Vikings, the special teams guy, I think. And they're also bringing back Jordan Howard. Uh, cool. All right. Uh, <laughs> don't don't blow the 12th pick, please. <laughs> yes. Everybody, everybody that is listening to the show needs to pray that Alex's Eagles take a wide receiver <laughs> so that does not become an option. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, I don't know. It's 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 going to be interesting. I, I think Eric Wilson will be a good special teamer. Uh, I, I I have a soft spot for Jawan Howard. Uh, Jordan but, Howard. Or, sorry, Jawan Howard. I'm thinking of <laughs> real soft coach. spot for him. Yeah, uh, Jawan Howard too. Though he's he's a great guy. And he, yeah, Jawan Howard. Jawan Howard had a great year at Michigan, so he was on the brain. Uh, Jordan Howard, I think, is really uh, has had a really fun Eagles career, but. I don't know. I mean, all both of those are kind of replaceable moves. Uh, nothing that excites me too much, but. I know that, uh, yeah, Steven is definitely hoping, that, or yeah. we should all definitely hope that the Eagles take a wide receiver. So Tom Telesco, the jersey that we're giving away on draft night isn't a Devonta <laughs> Smith jersey. 
Yes, I can't wait to give away an offensive line jersey to somebody. Yes. That would be fantastic. Mm-hmm. And if you don't want it, I will take it. Um, but so speaking of offensive line, the last thing we're going to talk about here, uh, Forrest Lamp did sign with the Buffalo Bills. Um, it just it, it was such a wild journey for Forrest Lamp. Was so excited when the Chargers drafted him. Thought that they finally got their left tackle of the future. Turns out they thought of him as a guard. And then he was hurt all the time and then just not very good. So I wish him very well in Buffalo. Hope he's able to kind of turn it around. And honestly, like if he does become a starter and like a very solid NFL player for the Buffalo Bills, I would not be surprised at all because I do think that there is some talent there. And he only played, you know, basically one season at guard and he showed some good flashes. It just kind of seemed like it was a little overwhelming for him. And, you know, he was playing next to a terrible center and a, a serviceable left tackle shall we say so i think in a better situation you know i I would have not hated to bring him back um and i think he's going to be able to maybe carve out a nice role for the buffalo bills yeah i mean i wouldn't have hated to bring him back and some people mentioned depth um but to me nuclear option is nuclear option right (laughs) like you either you either get rid of everyone or you know you're you're kind of looking at like scenarios where you know you're just trying to patch up the offensive line a little bit i guess uh, i look i wouldn't have minded him as backup guard uh or, or something like that maybe someone who um it, it could be a replacement for you know n- or just depth for abushi and filer depending on which one plays left guard which one plays right guard um but i think it's time for them to just get new talent right i mean they've had yeah. these same guys for so many years and i i do think it is unfortunate with forest lamp because had he not had the injuries he had, uh, I don't know what he would have turned into. Granted, yeah, again, he wasn't playing next to the best offensive line talent. I think he'll be better off um, in Buffalo anyway. Uh, I think that's sort of a place where he's not going to be expected to start um, too many games, and he can just kind of develop his craft, uh, continue that. Uh, I think it was a good step forward for him to to not have any injuries this year, um, but to me, it's just a little bit, too little too late i guess in terms of his chargers career maybe too little too late but he was stock up and whereas dan feeney you had him you played him you saw him for many games many years many snaps and he just nothing changed it was finally stock up for forest lamp and i kind of wish they had kept him around if balaga goes down which he did a lot last year and they kick fire to right guard you could leave a bougie at right or at the right tackle leave a bougie at right guard and just put forest lamp at left guard and i think you'd be just fine there and yeah. Maybe that's one less pick you have to make on the interior where there's a lot of question marks about the interior of this class or you want to take a corner, you want to take an edge rusher in, in, on day two and I have to spend it maybe on an interior guy, who knows. Um, I kind of wish they had brought him back. If they had brought back anybody, I, I kind of wished it, was, it were him based on how it's constructed right now. Yeah, I, I totally agree there. And the the depth of the interior offensive line, well, really the depth of the offensive line in general is kind of non-existent. You have mm-hmm. Scott Questenberry, who's a fine backup center, uh, and then you have Tyree St. Louis and Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton. So they'll have to address the interior offensive line because, frankly, they don't really have anybody. Um, I know there's that um, – what's his name? Um, his last name is Gilliam or Gillum. I think Nate, is Nate. Nate, yeah, that's right. Um, but he was on the practice squad all last year, so he's not somebody that I would exactly be counting on to to be like a primary backup. So they they have to draft an interior offensive line probably in one of the first four picks that they have maybe the fifth, if you're kind of stretching it and somebody kind of falls to you, but mm-hmm. um, they, they just need bodies and they could definitely 
you know, sign other people after the draft. Um, you know, Larry Warford is still out there. Uh, I don't know if he's interested in coming back to play football or what the situation is there. Um, they have some options again to maybe bring in somebody after the draft, but you know, if you're looking at, you know, in the third round and you have a guy like Aaron Banks or, or Kendrick green from Illinois, like we were talking about mm-hmm. on our offensive line episode, I think you probably have to make that pick just again, because you need bodies. Like you need yep. somebody that can come in and not just be, you know, a, a decent option. Like you want to have some kind of upside as a backup into your offensive line. Mm-hmm. I think if there was one that I would have kept out of the trio of Feeney, uh, Tevi, and Lamp, it probably would have been Tevi, um, just because I'm looking at the uh, depth chart and it's like, okay, you got Balaga, <laughs> that's good, yeah. but Balaga could get hurt, and you know, then oops, it our stu- two starting tackles are Trey Pipkins and Storm Norton. So yeah. that <laughs> that's a bit of a concerning situation. And if I if I had to keep one of the three, it probably would have been. Uh, 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 Sam Tevy, just because we have seen upside on him. He did improve last year. Um, I think Forrest Lamp was good, and I, I do think him staying healthy was a good step forward. But to me, once you get Ode Ibushi and you get, uh, obviously, Matt Filer, there just isn't a starting role for him here. And Sam yeah. Tevy, you know, while I would have liked to re-sign him, he goes to a place in Indiana, in, in Indianapolis, where he can have a starting role, right? Uh, or at least can compete for one. So that's uh, just what the upside was for him. Whereas I think he came to realize that based on the offer the Chargers made him, they probably didn't see him as a long-term, you know, potential starting tackle. So uh, I just think that's how it panned out. But I think at the end of the day, the Chargers kind of did the right thing, um, which is, you know, you know, put, put all your resources to uh, rebuilding the whole offensive line. Yeah. And this is, I mean, this just kind of comes to the territory, right? Like you're getting a new offensive line coach, new coaching staff in general. Um, this is was kind of expected, but a little surprised that Forrest Lamp, uh, you know, did not come back. I thought that they would maybe give him a chance to, to resign. But um, all right, so that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. Um, the last thing that I'm going to say here is we are going to do a live stream uh, on Friday. So that'll be tomorrow for you while you're listening to this. Uh, we're going to do our Q&A. So if you are a member of our Patreon page, make sure and put in your questions now and we will get to those first on our live stream and then we'll take some uh, questions from the live YouTube chat that day. Uh, Alex and Tyler, any thoughts, any other thoughts before we wrap up today? Uh, just a thank you to you guys. You know, this yeah. uh, Blue Wire thing that we did, that would not be possible uh, without all the crazy support you've given us uh, and then the platform you guys have given us. So, you know, this deal is uh, as much as yours as it is, as it is ours, uh, you know, in terms of, you know, we wouldn't be here without the community. So uh, thank you guys. Yeah. It wouldn't be here without you guys, but this is definitely our deal and we're keeping the money. So <laughs> <laughs> you guys could have the side Philip Rivers hat, but we're yeah, keeping yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Awesome, man. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in. Uh, And we'll see you tomorrow for the live stream. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? 
Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.